Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Losing your marbles, that's the parenting experience that we tend to go through if you've got kids in the home. And over the last several weeks, we've been looking at six things every kid needs. And over the course of the time, by making sure our kids kids get these six things, we find that we can make a permanent impact on their souls. And so we've gone through four of those already. We looked at time, we looked at love, looked at stories, and last week Pastor Sam did a great job teaching us about tribes. The reminder is that, that life with our kids is roughly about 936 weeks in the home. And this jar here has that many marbles and a few Super Bowls representing each of the birthdays, 18 birthdays in a child's life. And we're looking at how can we, every week of their life, make a significant investment that will help shape them in the right direction. And I think there's, uh, there's nothing that's as powerful as the words we communicate to our kids. I was reading the other day a letter from a father to his daughter that was actually published in a newspaper upon her graduation. And here's what he wrote. Dear Peanut, that's not her name. Her name's actually Lauren, but he says, Peanut, your mom and I could not possibly be any prouder of you than we are today. You will no doubt continue to grow into the person you are destined to become. In September, you'll begin the next four-year phase. As you prepare for college, here are a few things to remember. Remember, it's a journey, not a destination. Remain a nice person, not naive, but kind. Look for the good in people. If it's not there, look a little harder. Never take yourself too seriously. Many others will do that for you. Laugh at yourself. Laugh often. Use humor to get through the many speed bumps of life. Don't be afraid to do something silly. Waste time needlessly. Wander aimlessly or act goofy. Give your brain a break now and then. All you need is love is at best a half-truth. Remember, the Beatles were quite rich when they wrote that. You will need money. However, try not to confuse the two. True love will get you through the times where you have little or no money. Your mom and I know this to be true. Stay young at heart, free in spirit. Do not become jaded or cynical as you mature. This one will be difficult to follow as you grow older, trust me. Don't be afraid to try something new. Venture off the normal path. Some of the best adventures and discoveries are accidents. Don't be afraid to ask questions. That's how you will learn and grow. Don't be afraid to risk. No risk, no reward, but risk smartly. Continue to make good decisions. Trust your heart. Finally, be yourself. That's who we love, and that's who the world will love in return. Love, Dad. Some of you in this room had a mom or dad like this who continued to um, just over... power you with, with words of encouragement, words of love, and words of hope and faith. But there are some people in this room who didn't grow up like that. And you never heard those words from your mom or from your dad. And what I hope is that as a congregation, as parents and grandparents, we, we make a, a, a new course in our family's lives, that we determine that even though I didn't receive those kinds of words growing up, I will give those kinds of words. I will be that kind of a parent. I will be that kind of a grandparent. And I'm going to ask you today, if you would open your heart to receive those words from the Lord today, but also to make a determination that when you leave here, that's the kind of person you're going to be, someone who gives words that build up and that give hope, faith, and love. So let's pray to that end right now. Father, thank you for this chance to take a look at your word. We pray, Lord, that you would penetrate our hearts with the truth of Scripture. But, Lord, as parents and as grandparents, as people of influence, as teachers, as aunts and uncles, as just friends, that you would allow our words to give life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read to you a passage from the book of Proverbs in the fourth chapter. Proverbs was written by a man named Solomon. Solomon was born to the greatest king of the nation of Israel, King David. 
And he's, his mother was a gal that you might have heard of called Bathsheba. David had committed a great sin with Bathsheba, had her husband murdered, then eventually married Bathsheba. And along the course of time, they gave birth to this son named Solomon. Now Solomon um, ascended to take the throne after David um, stepped down as king. And Solomon ended up writing three books that are included in Scripture. There's a book of Ecclesiastes, which really is his overview of life and, and the pursuits that, um, that we seek after within our lives. He wrote the book Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, which is really a book about marriage and the love shared between a husband and a wife. And then he wrote the book of Proverbs, which Proverbs is practical for anybody, but particularly it is wisdom passed from a father to a son. All you have to do is read the first few chapters of Proverbs, and he continues to address his son about the things he needs to hold on to. And so when we come to the fourth chapter of Proverbs, he says this. He says, I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he, my father, taught me, and he said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart. Here's a father pleading with the son, listen to these truths, these, these principles, these axioms, these proverbs that I'm going to give you. They will guide you. They will direct your path in your life. They will keep you out of danger. Listen to these words because words direct a life and they direct our kids' lives when used properly. Long after your kids leave the house, when they're in college and they start their own career, when they begin to have their own family, you'll begin to hear those words you've passed on to your kids that stuck with them as they begin to parent their children. And they begin to quote the things that you said to them in those early years. And so here's what you need to know today. The best way to connect with your child's heart is through your words. It's through your words. In other words, very simply put, it's this. What you say will stay. What you say will stay. It will stick with them. It will get embedded in their heart. It will continue to be either a a life-giving force or a destructive force within their lives. And so we want to bless the kids with our words, not bruise them. Proverbs 25.11 in the English Standard Version says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Isn't that kind of a cool picture there? Words spoken well are, are just beautiful. They get presented to someone as something precious and wonderful, and that's the power of our words. So words can work wonders. Dr. Frank Luntz dedicates his career to words. He actually wrote a book called Words That Work, and it's a review of his life working with politicians because he's been used to help guide political campaigns for Republicans and Democrats. He's been consulted in writing speeches, and he says that words are very powerful, that words can get you a job. Words can get you a date. Words can get you out of a ticket. Words, words can open up doors in your life. It's why certain advertisements and jingles stay with us. It's why certain speeches, like I have a dream, linger on generation after generation. It comes down to words. Words can motivate and inspire. A, a great locker room pep, pep talk can change the whole attitude of a team, but words can confuse, and words can provoke anger. Words are powerful. Words, I think, are like keys. Words are like keys that that open a door to someone's heart. You say words in the right way, and you can get that girl to go out with you on a date, or maybe say yes to the proposal. You say the words just right, and you're going to get that job. You say the words in the right way, and you get to talk to the manager and get a refund or a discount. 
or you are able to get yourself out of the mess you got yourself into. Words are like keys that can open up new doors. Now, in my life, I look back at my childhood, there weren't a lot of those words spoken in my home. My dad wasn't very good with words. He was more destructive with, with words, and my mom was pretty quiet. But I got those words from coaches and teachers and professors within my life. I mean, when you, when you go through grade school and especially into high school, if, if you're like me, there's a lot of self-doubt. There's a lot of um, lack of confidence, especially when it comes to sports. And so it meant the world to me when the coach handed me the basketball and said, you're the starting point guard on the team today. Or, or the little league coach that says, you're going to bat lead off because you can hit off any pitcher. Or that college professor who in a preaching class, and I never really wanted to be a preacher, said to me, you know, you could be a good preacher someday. You know, it's those people who spoke into my life that made me think better of myself, that gave me hope and made me want to push on and do something, become something, make, make me believe that the impossible was actually possible. And parents, it's those words that you speak to your child that makes a child feel like, I can go face that bully at school, or I can complete that project I'm working on, or I really can succeed in college, because you have spoken faith into them. I have a friend that uh, down in Arizona that I spent many years with, and he said one of the most powerful things his dad said to him was, son, you make the decision. He said, just communicated to him that my dad trusted me enough to let me make the decision. It shaped his life, stayed with him even to this day. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus said, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, or out of the overflow of the heart, or, or out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That what comes out of your mouth truly is what's in the heart. And here's, all, here's what's also true. That what's in the heart comes out through the words. What travels through the air enters someone's ear. And guess where it goes? Right down into their heart. And it sticks there. Words enable us to have heart-to-heart communication. That's why words are so powerful, especially the words we speak to our children. They are like arrows. They can bless and they can hurt. They can elevate and they can crush. Proverbs 18.21, the verse that Doris had read during her communion meditation, says the tongue has the power of life and death. So how are you using your words? Which are they doing? Promoting life or death in the life of your children, in the life of your grandchildren. I put a request out this week on Facebook, and I was impressed with how quick the response was. When I asked people to let me know what words did your parents speak to you that have continued to guide your life, that have impacted your life? And there, there were 50, 60, maybe even 70 responses that people gave to me. Things like this. You can do anything you set your mind to. You are who you hang out with. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Work hard and be honest. We're proud of you. You're a blessing and a gift from God. Always do your best. He who angers you conquers you. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. There were a couple kind of disturbing responses. One, one woman said, my mother only spoke negative words. And then there was this from a 60-year-old woman. She said, here's what her father spoke to her. You will never amount to a hill of beans. You knucklehead. I pity the poor guy that gets stuck with you. 60 years old, and I know this woman because that's my sister. 
And I think back of how those words have gotten lodged in her heart for 60 years. And she remembers them like yesterday. And it reminds me how, how sensitive our hearts are. They're like wet cement and those, those words get pressed in at a young age and they stick with us. And when you have a parent who tucks you into bed and says, you're a gift from God, you're beautiful, you're going you're to accomplish great things in the world, it stays with them. But if you call your kids names and tell them they're losers and they're knuckleheads and they're not going to amount to anything, that stays with them too. And so we've got to speak life-giving words as parents, as grandparents, there's enough criticism in the world. There's enough negativity in the world. So how can we speak words of life? How can we use words wonderfully? Well, here's where we need to start. I think many of us parents need to make a correction in our approach to parenting because when I was younger, I always thought that the goal of parenting was help, is to raise up children who do the right thing who raise up children who follow the rules. And if you could raise them that way, when they leave the house, they'll continue to follow the rules. But what I observed was a lot of kids grow up in very strict homes where they toe the line and do everything they're supposed to do, but as soon as they leave the house, they go wild. They go off to college and they party and they sleep around, they try drugs, they do all these sorts of things they couldn't do when they were younger. Our goal is not is not to focus on the rules. The rules are important. It's to focus on the relationship. Because here's what happens. When, when your kids come to realize that you love them and that you can be trusted, that when they get older and leave the house, here's what you'll probably find. They'll actually adopt your values and your beliefs and, and the rules because they believe in you. And really, that's, that's the focus. It's the same thing with God. It's not all about the rules. The rules are important. It's the relationship. When the relationship is put in the right place, the rules become easier. They become more natural. But, but if the relationship is not there, there's this rebellion against the rules because we're crying out for a relationship. I want to know you. I want to be loved by you. And that's what our kids are crying out for. So make sure you focus on the relationship. Reggie Joyner, Carrie Newhoff, in their book on parenting, say that one of the most powerful things a parent can do is to learn to communicate in a style that values the relationship. What does that mean, communicate in a style that values the relationship? It has to do with both what you say and how you say it. What you say and how you say it. And so the, the first thing we have to do is we've got to learn to express the words. I remember the day I first heard a song, really listened to the lyrics, um, to this country western song. I'm not a big country western fan, but for some reason, this song one day by Reba McIntyre caught my attention, and I, rewind, or I, I didn't rewind it because it's a CD, so I went back, played it again, played it again, and I found myself in this, in this weeping mess. And I don't cry much, but this song got me. The song's called The Greatest Man I Never Knew. And it's a song about a little girl who had a dad who had those Old-style work ethic, he worked hard, came home, and stuck his nose in the newspaper. Said very little to his daughter. And she grew up starved to hear those words of affection from her daddy that she admired, that she looked up to. Greatest man. She just never knew him. Never knew his heart. Never knew what was inside. And so later on in the song, as it goes on, um, he passes away, and it's about a year after that, and she reflects upon him and how time has passed, and they can't reclaim those memories. And she says this line in that song, he never said he loved me. Guess he thought I knew. And to men in particular, and I'm one of those, you've got to say it. You may feel it. 
You might think it, but you've got to say it or write it. Sometimes things are hard to say, and sometimes it's really good just to write out our feelings. In fact, I encourage you, there are good times to actually write out our feelings. I'm one who keeps cards. When people write personal cards, more often than not, I I put it in a drawer. I put it in a box. I've got all kinds of cards from people over the years. Now, if they just sign their name to it, those end up in the trash. Not that I don't mind those cards. um, But the ones that really say something are the ones where there's a personal message. And then their signature. Isn't it interesting that very few of us print out text messages and emails, but we hold on to cards? They're very personal. They mean a lot. And maybe it's because of growing up in a home where I didn't have a lot of words of affirmation that those letters mean so much to me. So I just keep storing them up because they're valuable. And if you would take time to write your child a note this week or send a letter to your son or daughter who's now grown or off to college or over serving overseas in the military, what you'll find is probably this. They've taken that letter or that card and they've tucked it away in a Bible or some other place or where when they go through moments when they have doubts, they open up that card again and they hear your voice as they read those words. Say it, write it. You've got to get it out. But then you've got to go beyond that. You've, you've got to think of the words that you're actually writing. And I encourage you to use statements that stick. They don't have to be long, profound. They're just sometimes the best things we say are just little short phrases. I mean, I look at the scripture, and one of the most common affirmations that God gives, it's over 70 times in the Bible, is this fear not. Or some of your Bibles say, do not be afraid. And then, very often, it's followed by another little phrase for I am with you. For I am with you. And God says it over and over again in Scripture. He tells Joshua when he's leading the Israelites across the Jordan River. He tells it to Moses when he's going to Pharaoh. He tells the disciples when they're sharing the message of their resurrection. Fear not, for I am with you. Go make disciples of all nations, for I am with you. So when we talk to our kids, oftentimes it's those little things we repeatedly say. Like, I love you. You're beautiful. You're a handsome young man. You're a lovely young woman. We are so proud of you. You can do it. Good job. You know, those, those little phrases stick. Sometimes as parents, even those phrases where we demonstrate humility, I was wrong. I am sorry. And I think it's powerful when we remind them the truths of Scripture, of what God says. He is with you. God is for you. He has a plan for your life. He forgives you. Kids remember those little statements. Those are statements that stick, especially when they're repeated often. But as we, re, as we communicate those to our kids, we also have to remember to communicate with the rest of the body. If you speak with harsh, sarcastic tones, it almost erases all the words you said. Love is shown through expression, through through eyes and through tone, through body language. The tenderness comes across. It's been said that people will forget what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And so they remember that that environment that you've created. So not only do you communicate with your body, you follow through with actions. Follow through with actions. When you say you love your kids, they'll really um, see it validated by our actions. 
When you go to great lengths, when you make sacrifices for them, the words are supported by the actions. It's not words versus actions. It's not actions without the words. It's a combination of the two. The actions validate the words that we speak, and the kids need to see it. They need to know that sometimes we make mistakes. We break promises. We lose our temper. And what I want to communicate to my kids is that I'm not perfect, but my goal personally is I want to follow Christ. And I want you to see me in all my raw form. And as I follow Christ, I hope you will too. It's like what Paul said to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I'm not perfect, but I'm seeking to let Jesus be a bigger part of my life. And then finally, listen well, because what they hear is more important than what you say. When we speak, as a parent, we think we're, we've communicated. I mean, I was pretty clear in what I told my kid. So all we're focusing on is the words. But what the kids hear is words plus body language plus action that follows up. And so what they're actually hearing may be very different from what we've said. So it's important for us sometimes even to ask our kids, what are you hearing me say? What do you think I'm saying? And allow them a chance to speak. And many of us have got to learn to listen better. You know, one of my fears of the culture we live in right now is that iPads and TVs and phones have sometimes become a barrier to communication. I'm amazed at how many people will, will be in a dialogue with someone or in a meeting and their face is on their phone rather than the person they're talking with. And I've encouraged people, if, if someone is opening their heart to you, don't open an email. Don't open a text. Connect eye to eye. In fact, I think, I think eye to eye communication is powerful because as words flow through one person and you see the body language, you, you see them enter into the ears and the heart of the other person. You're locked in in that moment of time. Listen well. It says in the book of James, the first chapter, that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So we just need to become better listeners so our kids see in our body language that we truly do love them. God is a heavenly father who listens well to us, who hears our cries, who's patient toward us. That's the example that is set for us as parents. And I love the fact that no matter where you've been, no matter how you've grown up and the environment you came from, that that God is speaking encouragement to you even today. The man that was just baptized today, I remember when we talked in the foyer last Sunday and he shared with me just how the, the gospel finally makes sense to him, this gospel of grace Because many of us have grown up in churches that was focused on the rules, not the relationship with God. And when the relationship with God is central, it makes us want to keep the rules. But we need to know that he loves us. And there's no story that I've heard that just communicates it as well as the story told by Max Lucado in some of his writings. Max Lucado served in Brazil as a missionary for several years. And he heard a story from a Brazilian pastor about a, a young mother named Maria and her daughter Christina. When Christina was a year old, Her father passed away, but Maria vowed that she was not going to remarry, but she would raise up her daughter, and she worked hard to do that. As her daughter blossomed into a young woman, and they were raised in this little little shack with a tin roof on the outskirts of a a small uh, Brazilian village, the daughter dreamed of a day when she could go to the big city. But her mother tried to discourage her, saying that it's hard to find a job in the big city, and people aren't always friendly. And that's why it stunned her one morning when Maria woke up and looked in her daughter's room and the bed was empty. She knew where her daughter was and she knew that her daughter probably wouldn't find a job and she also knew what her daughter would probably have to do to her body in order to pay for her room and board. 
So she quickly threw some clothes in a bag, grabbed some money, headed on down to the bus station, but on her way, she stopped by the drugstore to go into one of those little photo booths and get a whole bunch of pictures of herself. She tucked those little black and white pictures in her purse and took the bus ride down to Rio de Janeiro. Once she got there, she visited every shady bar and nightclub and hotel establishment that she could. And every place that she went, she took one of those little black and white pictures of herself. She wrote a little note on the back of it, and she'd put it on a mirror, or she'd pin it to a bulletin board in hopes that her daughter might see one of those. When she was out of pictures, she boarded the bus and sadly, quietly returned back to her little tiny home on the outskirts of that small village. But a couple weeks later, Christina came walking down the steps of a hotel late one night. And there was no longer this youthful bounce in her step. There was no longer a glimmer in her brown eyes. Instead, there was a look of despair. Her dream had turned to a nightmare. But on this day, as she, she bounded down those stairs, she was stunned to see a familiar picture staring at her. She saw the face of the woman who gave birth to her. The woman who had sacrificed her life to raise her. And the woman who demonstrated unrelenting love in the pursuit of her little girl. And she picked up that little picture and she, she trembled as she flipped it over on the back side. And on the back, written in her mother's handwriting, was an invitation. And it said this, No matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. So she did. That's the story of the gospel. There's a God who loves you more than you'll ever know, who's watched over you, who've tried to guide you your whole life. Yet you, like me, have strayed and gone off a path and found yourself in a mess. And you wonder if if, if my heavenly Father even cares about me. But the words you need to hear from him today are those same words, powerful words that can open up a whole new life for you, a whole new future for you. Whatever you've done, I don't know what you've done. I don't know the details. Only you and God know that. Whatever you've become, whatever you've experienced, whatever depth of pain your heart has endured, whatever sin you've engaged in, I want to tell you what my Heavenly Father thinks of that today. It doesn't matter. All that matters is He loves you and invites you to come home. So we want to invite you to do that today. You might say, Pastor, how do I do that? It's very simple. It's acknowledging that you need a Savior, that you've strayed from his path. It means that you believe that Jesus made this journey from heaven to earth to die on a cross for your sins. It means that you're willing to say those words that open up the doors of heaven, that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who died for my sins and rose from the dead. Baptism is a way of saying, I want to seal that commitment to show that I'm identified with Christ in this death, burial, and resurrection so I can be raised to walk in a new way of life. So we want to invite you to come home today. This is a message for you. If you're like me, some of you have grown up in a home where you didn't have those words from a father. And I've forgiven my dad a long time ago. But you know what saved me? It was the Heavenly Father's words penetrated my heart. And so I want to ask you to stand and ask our prayer partners to come right up here in front. This invitation is for you. Come on home. Come on home. We want to celebrate with you. We want to introduce you to a father unlike any father you've ever known, a father that loves you, 
who came seeking for you and whose arms are open for you this day. Come. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.